Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here to talk to you about Reinvent Yourself. And what I love today is, wow, I have somebody who comes out of a different direction into the beauty business. How would you like to be on her uh, LinkedIn page? Her number two uh, position was clarinetist, freelance classical musician. And now she is the founder and CEO of Take My Face Off, which is an incredible beauty business that's knocking it out of the park. And they make these very cute little face cloths that will take your makeup off and you can throw them in the laundry and they're sustainable. And you can use them and use them and use them and you're not adding to our landfills, which is fantastic. But what I love the most about Amanda McIntosh, who you're gonna hear from shortly, is that she's one of those people, you know when you're walking around with your girlfriend and you say, why doesn't somebody do X, that little niggly thing that drives you crazy? And you think, well, if it was such a good business idea, why didn't someone do it? Well, she was the person who did it. And that's often what I hear from really successful entrepreneurs, the difference between them and the other people are the fact that they just did it. They said, I've got an idea, I'm gonna pursue it down. And I also love the fact that she said her first year, she spent $20,000. That was it to get her business going. And now she has this fantastic flourishing business called Take My Face Off. And um, it, you can start very, very uh, frugally like that. And then she had some people, she invested more of her own money, she said, um, $100,000 the second year and put in about 300,000 of her own and then had other people invest in her. And that is not, uh, you know, that is a small way to start. And, but what I really love is it's a very narrow, small starting idea. And of course, now she's expanding into many other things. And I love the fact, how could you be a musician? And this is not even a music product. It has to do with taking your makeup off. So I want you to all welcome Amanda McIntosh. So hello, Amanda, how are you today? I'm great, how are you? Good. So let's talk about your life as a musician, because that's how you started out. I love the fact that people end up in the beauty business from all different types and walks of life. But I don't think I've heard of many musicians. So talk a little bit about what kind of instrument you played and what kind of life you, you held before you entered the beauty business. Okay. Um, I started off, <clears throat> excuse me, playing clarinet in band. I was a band kid. Okay. And then I later added some piano and some, some cello and stuff, but I was, I was a band kid and I just loved it so much <laughs> and never could imagine doing anything else in the world. Although I was, I was also a bookworm and a, and a language person and this, that, and the other, I just thought I just wanted to play in an orchestra and that was it. So I got to go to music school and that was amazing. And it was really actually musicians never seem to appreciate that being a musician teaches you to teach yourself. Oh. And to be extremely disciplined. Oh. Um, so that was actually kind of, it, it's like a superpower that mm. all musicians have that, that I kind of, I'm always amazed that musicians don't even realize they have it. But so I did that. And even in college, my professor, like, so your, your professor in college for music is kind of your, your big mentor. You have one person. He said, you know, I just think you're going to get bored. 
and I was crestfallen because I just wanted to play an orchestra. And he said, no, 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 don't take it the wrong way. You could do this. That's not the problem. He's like, but I see you running around on the newspaper staff and taking language classes and all these things. He's like, I just think you're going to get bored. I assured him he had no idea what he was talking about and went on my way. And eventually um, I wound up in an orchestra in Spain oh, for a couple wow. of years, which was great. I did uh, some work in Germany for a while. And then I met my husband um, at a summer institute that the Boston, the Boston uh, Symphony does for young professionals called Tanglewood. Oh, I know Tanglewood. Okay. Uh, very happy place. So we met there and um, he decided to come back to Spain with me for a while. And then he really wanted to start auditioning. And I, I did that thing where I said, well, I've kind of had my turn. I'll, I'll let you audition now. Because it's a, an extremely expensive and full-time endeavor to be auditioning for orchestras. And he's a musician as well. What does he play? Yeah, I should explain. He's a trumpet player. Oh, that's great. Okay. And I'm, I'm happy to say that that all turned out quite well. He's currently on tour with the, the Los Angeles Philharmonic. He's in London right now. Oh, wow. So awesome. That was, that was a good bet I made when I said, yeah, sure, you can audition for a bit. <laughs> okay. And we came back to the States and, you know, so we needed benefits. And so I said, I'll go, I'll go work for my mom. And she has a consulting practice. And so I started off by just being a grunt and scheduling events for them. But then as emergencies happened and, and suddenly something would come up, I would, I would do more and more. And I kind of discovered I loved it. I had always been told as a musician, oh, you must be a creative. And there was kind of an unspoken assumption that creatives were not practical or that creatives were not organized. And one, that's not true of musicians at all, but, but two, it, it's, that's not, a, that's not a, a helpful thing to believe about yourself. So I was really lucky to have it proven, disproven to me that in fact I was perfectly organized and perfectly business-like. It, it was an amazing gift that I got those years of working there. And eventually my husband did well enough in music that I wound up going back to performing myself, which is great. But I think that that practical brain had gotten started, like a combination of practicality and creativity. How do you create things that are better? How do you change processes uh, moving forward? What, what do you do that can make a difference? Um, so I have to say I'm kind of the opposite of people who get bitten by the artistic bug. I was, I was <laughs> an artist who got bitten by the, the practical innovation bug. That's cute. I like that. Uh-huh. And so, so how did that lead to your new business? Well, uh, once I left classical music, I had an excuse to wear makeup, which I, I just loved. Mm -hmm. And so um, once upon a time, a, a fancy friend who knows tons about skin had turned me on to this particular skincare routine. And I was really attached to it. And it required washcloths mm. to do this, remove, remove oils, steam your face, all this. Oh, my God. I never heard of that one. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's incredible okay. really for all skin types. I can tell you later. Okay. So I was driving home from this really late night concert, which was great, but I was tired and I had two young children mm -hmm. and I was behind on laundry and mm -hmm. all my washcloths were in the hamper. And I was thinking, oh no, I just, I could, can't bear to go back to my normal or my old skincare routine. I, I have to have a washcloth. Well, I had been searching for new ones because I, I knew I didn't have quite enough in my stash, but I could never find anything softer or, or cute or, or just anything. 
I could never find anything much better than, you know, basic microfiber or terry cloth. And so I didn't have extras simply because I couldn't find anything worth buying. So it was one of those, this is ridiculous. It's, it's skin. How much do we spend on skin? Why has nobody bothered to create a washcloth that's better than microfiber or terry cloth? This is stupid. It can't be rocket science. I'm going to do this. And so I just started. I don't have any kind of a fabric background or, or, or sewing background. I barely even owned a sewing machine. Um, you owned I, one? You, the fact you even had one is huge. You had a sewing machine? It was the gift of my mother. I didn't know how to use it, <laughs> okay. but I owned it. Okay, all right. She, she had dreams that I would, uh, I don't know. Um, there you go, she knew. She, maybe that's it. Maybe she actually had a brainwave of her own. And she mm -hmm. knew about it. Yeah. So I started playing around. I dug it out. I looked at the, the, the manual. I started looking for fabrics. I would just march into all, all manner of fabric shops and say, hey, so what would you use for, for, for bath time? And they would say, well, terry cloth. I'm like, yeah, but mm -hmm. what about, what, what's not terry cloth? Uh, terry cloth? So I didn't, even, I didn't even really know where to go except for something like Joanne Fabrics. So I started just oh, yes. things online. I've been to one of those. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, I don't know, if you're looking for, so I found out that the world of fabric and sewing and, and ultimately garment manufacturing is a very closed world. Oh, okay. Um, luckily, I live in Los Angeles and they have a big garment center there. So I just started going to this part of downtown, which is kind of like a third world country, mm -hmm. not downtown, but that, that part of downtown is. Right. And um, just searching at everything I could. I wound up in strange old attics of strange stores with frankly rather strange men um but everything turned out okay. <laughs> okay and i wound up with a million different swatches of fabric that i took home and tested and just and, played around what is it doing and what were you trying to accomplish see i assumed what you were trying to accomplish was what the what my problem is which is the dirty washcloth it's that it's constantly dirty and then gray because it's got all the gunk on it and your only choice is to you know take it off with, take all your makeup off with, um, disposable. Yeah. So it, it really wasn't that it was because you had this routine that you had to keep up with. Well, actually, so you're hitting on something very important. I wound up with kind of a lot of criteria. Okay. I had a whole list of things that I thought washcloths were terrible at. Mm -hmm. And I decided I wanted to fix as many of those as I could. Okay. So one of them is the fact that they get stained and disgusting. Yes. Uh, that's what I can't stand. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, and then you'd have to bleach them, which just makes yep. them tougher and it's, yep. it's not a good answer. Yep. I wanted it to be softer. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted it to be more kind of more maneuverable. I found washcloths very clumsy. Um, I wanted it to dry faster so I didn't have to leave it hanging over a towel bar for so long before it went. Yes. Over. Yes. And they stink. Yes, exactly. Um, and I just, I wanted it to feel fancy. You know, I wanted it, I wanted it to turn skincare into a much more luxurious, less utilitarian kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had no idea how I was going to do it. So, but I knew it had to start with a fabric. And so I just, I started testing everything and I okay. would, I would put long wear lipstick on a fabric. I would use it to clean <laughs> my face. I would, okay. get it red. I would combine it with different soaps or cleansers and mm -hmm. just see what it did. Okay. Finally, I found this baby fabric. Okay. Baby blankets that was pretty expensive, but it was this miracle Shane steading fabric. 
uh, sorry, stain. Yeah. Stain, what? Hard to say. Um, stain shedding fabric. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Later I figured out why it was like that, but at the time I just noticed that stuff washed out. Okay. And it was amazing on skin. Okay. Um, if I got it wet, it, at first it didn't like the water, but once it took some, it, it kind of glided over your skin and it seemed to pick up the makeup, but it, it wasn't tugging. Oh, interesting. Okay. But your fingers, your fingers would slide across the back and it would kind of stick to your face. It was as hard. The back surface was hard to, you couldn't get a grip on it. Okay. And that's where the real sewing came in. So I was like, well, there's, there are mitts out there, but mitts are ugly. They're yeah. lumpy. They are. Yeah. Yeah. So it started this whole thing of how could you create something that was cute, but it was more like a mitt. And I have a brother who's, who's a high up at Groupon and he gave me one of the best pieces of advice ever. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, he said, make sure that it's always recognizable immediately as yours. If somebody walks into a friend's bathroom and sees one of your products, something about it needs to make it immediately apparent that it's yours and not any other. Wow. That was incredible advice. And you got that from Groupon or that was just him? You know, I don't know which it is. He's a younger brother. And so I tend okay. to estimate him and he might just be that genius. Okay. <laughs> okay. But so it turned into, I wound up coming up with this droplet shape that represents because ultimately this turned into kind of an environmental thing for me. This started off as skincare, but eventually it turned right. into this environmental mission, but it wound up representing resources and of course water and washing. Mm-hmm. But the tip um, became, it's a, a patent pending feature we have uh, where your finger fits into the tip and then it becomes this pointy area for the lash line. Oh, okay. That's always a problem. Yep. Yeah. It's this, this product it takes care of eye makeup, like nothing, even better than Q-tips. Okay. So then, and then the rounded part fits, you know, several fingers, depending on the size of your hand is how many it fits. And it's, it's really versatile and it avoids the sizing issues with large scale mitts. Cause you just put mm-hmm. a few fingers in, okay. but it, it's cute. And more importantly for me, it allowed this fabric to sit on your hand and not get stuck. It, you can move it because it has edges and it's a mitt. Mm-hmm. So that's, okay. and there's more. And there was like a, I wound up having to buy industrial sewing machines and teach myself pattern making and get into arguments with factories who said, no, this can't be done. Can't be. You know, there's, but that's, that's the basic where it started, how and why. And talk a little bit about, so the environmental sustainability part of it came to you later and explain, cause you, you talk about that a lot in a lot of your other interviews and you say that you, it, it keeps, um, you say the fabric saves huge amounts of water. I was going to ask you in the manufacturing process or what do you mean? Or just usage when you're cleaning points. your face or? Um, multiple points. There's, so I, I learned some different ways to look at this because at the beginning, I just wanted something better for skin. And in my head, I just assumed that something like an organic cotton or hemp blend might be best for the environment. Mm-hmm. But I wound up with this polyester, which is of course synthetic. And that right. bothered me, really bothered me. But as I was testing the natural fabrics, they, they simply could not release the stains. They got pilly. They got ah, um, really okay. fast. They were, they were really not suitable for makeup wearers. Okay. And so, but I kept, I kept testing them and just playing around with them. And I noticed, I, I still don't have the final number here, but my polyester, I mean, the, the, typically the natural fabrics lasted a few months. The polyester, we're going on four years for some of my wow. tests. Wow. Okay. 
And so I found this old Swedish, not old, uh, this Swedish study that's kind of the, when people are looking at the carbon footprint of various fabrics, this yes. is the study they refer to. Yep. And my synthetic definitely takes more resources to create. But everything, even the world's greenest fabric, which would be organic hemp, takes resources to make. And then, mm -hmm. of course, if you're going to manufacture it into something, yes. then there's factory power, there's the transportation to the store, there's disposal, there's all that. Right. Um, so when you start multiplying how many of like, oh, say the hemp ones you would need to replace one of mine, mine right. is vastly greener. Right. Because you're not tossing it out all the time. Yeah. And so we're not having to regrow a new batch of hemp and then manufacture it and transport it and bleach it and, or, or not bleach it or all the things. Right. Okay. So we wound up, you know, in general, any product, the, the longer lasting a product is, the greener it is. And That's that right. almost always mathematically is better than, uh, you know, where it came from. Yes. So okay. we are the longest lasting, therefore we are the greenest. When you use the product, you wind up using less water because of, if you're going to, you, there are a lot of different ways you can use a midi, like a washcloth, like a cotton ball, but almost all of them involve less running tap water than, oh, let's say hands, cleanser, and soap. Okay, that's good. Also then, like say if you're using it with toner, it soaks up less toner than a cotton ball by far, and more of it stays close to your skin. Okay. So all the things it uses, because of how this fabric behaves, it uses less of that material. So that's okay. greener. Uses less water. Um, it's greener in and of itself, and it's actually quite easy to wash, and it literally takes up less space in your laundry than a comparable washcloth. It takes wow. less water to wash. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's I mean, it's, it's got all that, but the, really the big win is that actually by far the most important is that we are working hard to replace cotton balls and right. wipes and to a certain right. extent, Q-tips. Right. Um, those are just, I mean, any kind of single use disposable is frightening for the environment. Right. Uh, the wipes are spun plastic. Uh, don't get me on that bandwagon right now. And then cotton balls, even though they come from a plant, are shockingly toxic. The pesticides used on them are yeah. the worst. It's usually produced with child labor in third world countries because it's cheap cotton. It's just, ugh. Right, right. So we really, we don't want to, you know, at this time I was about skin and then I started looking at the beauty industry and being horrified. Mm -hmm. And so I realized I had an opportunity not just to do something cute and fun for skin, but I could really make a difference on the issue that means the most to me, which is the environment. And it's fantastic. I mean, for me, it was, it was, it's not fantastic that this is a problem. It's fantastic that this, in my mind, turned into a mission. Right. So it combined, you know, all the fun things of beauty and makeup and aesthetics and branding, which I've turned out I've loved and communicating things to people, but it's all in service of a, a larger thing, which is helping people reduce their reliance on single use disposables. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a really fun topic that I can talk about from, from all the aspects. The, I mean, that is one of the, I guess the, the disposables are the new thing that's been out there, right? Do we know the, when the disposables started to come on the scene? It was really only like a few years ago, right? Yeah, I don't know because I'm allergic to them. Um, oh. All the preservatives and detergents used in um, like wipes really make my skin oh. burn and they make my eyes burn. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I was, I noticed them probably 10 years ago. And then just around the time I was starting, you know, I started going, I was, I was starting out in a new field and I, I didn't know anything about it. Right. So I found all the networking organizations I could, I'd go to conventions. I went to all kinds of just anything I could find. I went to. Yes. And anytime I got advice from somebody, 
they said, oh, you know, spun plastic wipes. Those are, those are the new, those are the new craze. Get into wipes. And I didn't want to be rude, but I was thinking, uh, no, that's the opposite of what I want to get into. And they were like, that's the growth area, man, the wipes. Everything's going to be a wipe. So I know that four, four and five years ago, they were picking up massive steam and they were going pretty strong until two years ago. Two years ago was the first whisper I heard of people saying, hey, wait a minute, this is a single use piece of trash. Maybe that's not so good. So tell me a little bit about um, how you got started and why you decided. I mean, this is a very common reinvention thing where somebody sees an opening, a niche, a hole, a very small little item that needs to be reinvented or made better, or it's a hole that no one has filled. And they all say, oh, if it, it was a real hole, somebody would have already filled it. Or, you know, it's too small. It's never going to be anything. What made you decide to jump in? Was there, had you always had the entrepreneurial spirit or, you know, and then did you raise money or how did you get started? Yeah, those are good questions. Um, so first off, I did assume that somebody else must have already filled this niche because I, I thought it was impossible that no one had made a nice washcloth. It's just mm -hmm. ridiculous. But I, you know, I'd been searching for a while and then searching more, it, it confirmed it. So I'm, I'm the kind of person who comes up with ideas a lot, but you know, being a little practical, I immediately jumped to, well, how would you do that? And usually kind of thinking about it, that's, that sounds like just too many unknowns, too many scary things, too many, too many complicated parts. But this one, I just, I mean, at the beginning, I just wanted better fabric. I was like, well, that's just not too hard. Mm -hmm. Fabric, that's, that's something I can get. That's, that's something you can sew prototypes of. That's, you can do that. So the more I thought about it, the more this one seemed like, I wasn't thinking of it in these terms, but a, a low barrier to entry. I could play around with this on my own and just have fun. So, and then the more I looked, the more it really did seem like a rather glaring hole in the universe, especially when I started considering that, okay, and cotton balls are terrible, but we don't seem to have an alternative. What? So I, I didn't have any idea of how I could do this. I mean, at the time I was a freelance musician considering going back to consulting. My husband was in a, a great orchestra. Life was good, but we had two tiny children. We had our children kind of late. Um, but I just kept tinkering with it. And every day I would think of all these problems. Well, I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't know. But then the other side of my brain would say, well, but wait a minute, you could do this. You, you could try that. You haven't explored this yet. So I came up with a little daily practice, which was instead of thinking about the, the hurdles at the time, which seemed like money and expertise and all that, I would try and think of, well, which things could I be doing that cost nothing? Often at the very least, there was a Google search or there was an errand to the garment district or there was a phone call or somebody I could take out for coffee who used to be an esthetician who could tell me more about this, that, or the other. So the list of things that I, I could do got longer. The more I learned, the more I realized there was I could also stretch out to. Those, those kind of ideas and opportunities strung themselves together. And the, the money for this, this stuff at the beginning, it just kind of seemed to work out or certain things I could get with favors or help or questions through connections. I was a, a little embarrassed to be trying something so new that I knew, knew nothing about, but I knew that I live in a world full of smart people. So I, I stretched myself to talk to friends and other parents and people like that about what I was doing. 
because every time they would, they would say, Hey, you know, so-and-so used to be in the garment industry, or I feel like someone used to do something with fashion. And of course, you know, that was kind of related because of fabric. So I would follow these threads. And then eventually I realized once it, it got really serious and I'd even gone to a trade show and I'd, I'd done all these things to start getting myself established. I realized, well, I do have these retirement accounts, you know, perhaps if this is looking like it might actually be a good investment. So I invested that and then I, I went further. And then um, some money- your entire your entire retirement savings? I invested a good, a good portion of it. Good portion of it. Wow. Okay. Not all of it. It was at this point, it was looking like a good bet. I had, thanks to all this work I'd been doing, I'd filed um, my first patent applications at a whole series of trademarks. I had, I had a lot of things in place and I was consistently getting very positive responses. Okay. I had, had gone through this, this ringer of finding manufacturers. I, I'd done a lot. So not all of it, but a good portion. Because it, it, it just felt, it, it, it had gone from a crazy thing to, no, this, this might be something. And I always also had it in my back pocket that worst case scenario, I, I never wanted to lose more than I could get back within maybe a year or two of work. In the back of my head was, if I go back to consulting for a year or more, I want to be able to earn back whatever I have spent. Um, I eventually exceeded that a bit, but not, not terribly. And so then eventually some money kind of found me. Uh, invested in you? Yeah. Some, some connections that had been looking at what I was doing, um, who have a, a family fund. Okay. Said, hey, this looks really interesting. How, at that point I had secured a licensing deal with Sephora. That was my first. Oh actual- my God. You did that before you manufactured? Yeah, I did a lot of, you know, there's a lot to be said for being bold and just doing things. Um, they were always measured steps, but they were, there were a lot of bold steps I did. I went to a trade show and exhibited before I really had a manufacturer nail done. I thought I had one. Turns out they flaked on me. Mm-hmm. But at that trade show, somebody connected me to Sephora. They loved the product. We all worked out a deal where I didn't have to personally manufacture it. I just licensed a design to them. Ah, Okay. All right. So it was beautiful because it, uh, if anybody knows retail, it's extremely risky. It was a, yes, it is. I, I wasn't responsible for selling it. I collected my royalty, even if not a single one sold. Okay. So you did a licensing deal with Sephora. Yeah. And they produced it. They had a manufacturer produce it. Yeah. For the, Sephora. ah, that's so smart. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it just, I constantly asking around and looking at things and talking to people and, and sometimes meeting lawyers. Um, I wound up with kind of the, the quilts of information that I needed to protect myself and to do things boldly, but with some knowledge. Wow. That's amazing. And then when did that, how long did that take to get off the road, off the liftoff? Well, that particular deal was like nine months in the making. It was, it was okay. quite lengthy. All right. And it actually, it didn't turn out so well because the buyer in charge of it left before it really finished. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those. They, they didn't include yes. the training manual. Nobody knew it was there. It was at every, oh, no. knew it was there. It's just, but luckily because of my deal, I, I was not harmed except that it was. Okay. okay. So it was fine. And I learned, I mean, it's man, I, I'm, I, every time something goes wrong, I have to look back and laugh and say, almost every time it's been kind of the cheapest possible way I could learn that lesson. 
Wow. Okay. So many, all the things that have gone wrong, they could have been so much worse. Can you give me a ballpark? Because people are always asking me for, um, they're always saying, you know, well, I don't have a lot of money to start my idea. All the people you're talking to are, you know, have lots of money to invest. Is it like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands? Or can you give me a ballpark? Yeah. I mean, and it's just been a snowball with time. And so I, I will, I'll give you some ballparks, but I will tell you something else first, because when people ask me this question, I work, sometimes I worry a little bit about where their mindset is mm-hmm. because, you know, having been in this long enough now in the entrepreneurial world, I have watched people launch things from nothing, literally nothing. I have watched people launch things from a little bit of something and I've watched people launch things with massive backing. Mm-hmm. And the only people I've seen launch something with massive backing and succeed were people who had already been in that industry for a very, very long time. Mm, okay. They knew, they knew whose advice to buy. They mm-hmm. knew they, they had all the right sources, all the mm-hmm. right manufacturers, marketing connections. Mm-hmm. Because even if you have everything, it's really hard to make good choices. Yep. So unless you, unless you come from the world and know exactly what you're doing, and you know exactly the model you're about to follow. I actually think that having a lot of money is more harm than good. Mm, okay. Um, because even, even with that, a lot of people go out big and then fall hard. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people kind of, not a lot of people. I I feel like it can be almost better to go in gradually like I did. Okay. So at the beginning, what was I spending? I was spending a hundred dollars at a drop on some fabric orders from this place. Um, and then I was spending parking at the downtown garage and then $50 at this weird fabric place. Then I spent, um, you know, a couple hundred dollars on a hotel and, and gas to go to a um, beauty trade show in Las Vegas, you know, things like that. And then eventually, you know, I want to say probably my first year, I spent $20,000 of my own money. The second year was that year that I decided to go to a trade show and cashed in some retirement. I probably spent $100,000. And then around that time, I had some family and friends who were helping as well. And they said, Hey, this, you know, bravo to you. And they, they, um, they were extremely kind helping with some of those things like website expenses. Mm -hmm. And so do you go ahead? I have probably put, um, you know, maybe 300,000 of my own money into this, which is a lot, but it's been spread over a number of years. Right. But you started with 20 that first year. Yeah. And I could have started with less, you know, if, okay. if I just bought oh, fewer fabric samples, if I hadn't okay. bought a sewing machine. The thing is that there, at every moment, there were so many things, so many steps on my path that were available to me that cost nothing. And yeah. when the money presented itself, I would find a use for it. And I'm actually not, I'm not saying that I spent the money badly. It was, it was some pretty fantastic exploration. I'm saying if I'd had more, it might not have been any better. Okay, great. This is great. So in closing, two, two things. Anything about being a woman and in, in being an entrepreneur that was an advantage or a disadvantage or being an older woman? You're not 20 when you're doing this. Did you run into any resistance or any positive that was helpful? I run into both all the time. Um, it's two sides. Uh, it is it is lucky that the beauty industry is primarily populated by women. That helps mm-hmm. a lot. It helps a lot with the networking organizations. Uh, it helps it, it helps that you are more likely to be taken seriously in beauty 
um, as a woman than you might be in some other fields. I am not a young woman and I don't look exactly like most other people in beauty. These days at the moment, I've got like, my head is mm, kind of shaved up one side. My hair is pink. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. I'm a little, um, oh my gosh, I had the funniest, uh, not a compliment at Trader Joe's the other day. I got carded and the guy said, um, I, I, he carded me and I said, you're hilarious. How adorable of you. And he, he was kind of um, absent-minded and he, he accidentally said exactly what he thought because he was multitasking. He said, well, he's like, well, you know, um, you might, you might be, you know, dressing in that eighties style because you're a millennial and you're dressing ironically, or you, you might just be an older person who doesn't know any better. <laughs> okay. Can you, will you say for our group, how old you are? Yeah, I'm 47, almost 48. Oh, great. Awesome. You do look like a baby. I would not have guessed that. Oh, aren't you sweet? I love you. But so I, I, I finally, I'm at an age where I dress how I want to without worrying what other people think. Um, I don't look like everybody in beauty, but it winds up being actually an advantage because they always remember me. I go to networking. Oh, they I'm remember you. Good. And they don't always know what to make of me at first, but then they listen to me talk a few times. They listen to my questions and they're like, oh, okay, she knows what she's talking about. Being different um, in several ways is, is more of a benefit than it is not. And I just, these days, I'm just trying to take whatever's there and run with it. And instead of, instead of feeling like I'm older, I feel like I've had a lot more life experiences, these people. And it, it changes how I feel about myself. And then it changes how people take me. Right. Great. Um, so in closing then, um, cause I always ask for tips and tricks for women who might want to reinvent themselves just in the way that you did. And I love the fact that you started out your first year was $20,000. I think that's fantastic. Is there any, you know, are there any one or two things you might leave our listeners with that are very practical sort of insightful things you might tell a girlfriend, um, that they need to know? about doing this kind of project? Yeah. Um, when, if you know exactly what you want to do, that's great. Then just keep moving forward. Talk to friends about it. Collect all the information you can from anybody you know. Read everything you can. Do all the Google searches. Really explore it. But if you have an inkling that you want to do something different and you don't know what it is yet, that's okay too. You know, I, I didn't mention that before I wound up doing this, I'd had an inkling I wanted to do something else and just random opportunities would come. I think I helped two different people write books um, because I, I kind of used to do some journalism and I'm not necessarily qualified to write a book, but they needed help and I was offering for free. So I tried that for a while. I followed up on, on several things. I went to several other types of networking events. Exploration is amazing. You'll meet new people. You'll, you'll figure out what you like and what you don't like there's this weird thing in life that we think that we, we have to, to do one thing and do it well, or changing is, is flaky or, or something like that. And I think, I mean, obviously, you know, or you wouldn't have this podcast that there's tremendous value in changing courses, mm -hmm. but you don't even just have to change course once you can change a few times, give yourself a little bit of time to try some things on because the worst thing that happens is you learn something new. <laughs> I love that. Well, with that, I think that is a wonderful closing for us. And I want to thank you, Amanda. And um, if people want to see your product, they go to takemyfaceoff.com. Yeah. Also, we're there on Amazon and 
there's some other places, but the website is probably best. Okay. Takemyfaceoff.com and you will be able to see Amanda and you'll be able to see, but I don't think you had pink hair in those pictures on your site. I might have red. Um, it yeah. changes. I mean, <laughs> okay. Last month it was actually orange. It, it just uh, Okay. Keeps moving. Well, wonderful. Amanda, thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate it. And thank you for giving us a roadmap to how we might jump in and actually pick up a, a single item and start our reinvention that way. I love it. Thank you. It was such a delight. So thank you all for listening to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I hope this was helpful. I think Amanda gave us some really good practical advice, and I especially love her last part, which is even if you don't know what you want to do, just start doing it, and you will learn something. Worst comes to worst, you will learn something, which I think is kind of what holds us all together. I think for Covey Club and for this podcast, we're kind of all about just continual learning. So I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Amanda. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you will subscribe. And please, please leave us a comment. Also give us some stars. That's how we get visible to other people. And of course, always reach out to me if you know of anybody who would be a great reinventor to interview. We like women 40 plus, and we like crazy stories like this. And it's Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at CoveyClub.com. I hope you'll also come over to Covey Club. We just redid our website, come to CoveyClub.com, C-O-V-E-Y, club.com, and join us there. We have a wonderful new app where you can jump in and start talking to the group, which is really worldwide, nationwide largely. And we talk about all kinds of important topics uh, from how to get more sleep, two incredible new books we're reading all about the uh, intermittent fasting diet to you name it and also we have a lot of meetups both virtual virtual and live and i hope you'll join us at cubbyclub.com as well and that you will come back and see us again at reinvent yourself take care